Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. So, I don't know if you know this or not. How many of you are aware that Christmas is this week? How many of you knew that? Christmas is Friday, right? So, it seems like just a couple of weeks ago, which it was just a couple of weeks ago, that we put up this graphic and we played that video of all the kind of running around from Christmas movies. And we talked about the fact that Christmas always comes and it gets here and you wait and you wait and you wait. And then it's like, boom, and it happens and it's done. And in the midst of that, we oftentimes miss important things. And so I want to make sure at the very beginning that you understand some things you've probably already missed this December. I want us to do this because it's a public service announcement that I don't know whether you know this or not, but there are other celebrations that happen in December and they sometimes get overshadowed by this behemoth that is Christmas. And I don't want them to go unnoticed. So, for instance... You probably missed this, but December 5th was, in the United States, National Ninja Day. Right? Anybody here celebrate National Ninja Day? If you're a ninja, you can't tell us, right? By the way, these are the two greatest ninjas of all time. Can I get a hey man in the house of the Lord today? All right. Storm shadow and snake eyes right there. All right. Uh, which always was confusing because he was bad and he was... Good. And the white and black and all that stuff. I'm going way too deep into G.I. Joe history for you. All right. So it's National Ninja Day. That probably snuck up on you because that's what ninjas do. All right. I got booed in the first service for that joke. We are a little milder for that. So you missed that. Too bad. This is one some of you are going to be really upset you missed. December 16th is National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. Chocolate covered anything day. All right. And I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's some good stuff. There's chocolate covered cherries. How many of you like chocolate covered cherries? Right. Chocolate bananas there. Strawberries. How many chocolate covered strawberries? And I mean, I'm not even going to ask because if you don't, there's obviously something wrong with you. Chocolate covered bacon. Right. There are two words that don't go better in the English language than chocolate Bacon. All right. And so it was chocolate over anything. The thing about that day is if it's chocolate, you can suck the chocolate off of no matter what's underneath. And it's still a good day. Amen. OK, maybe. All right. Now, the next one, so there's probably a few of you to be a little upset about, but you would never admit this because this has been a secret longing of yours for a long, long time. December 18th, just two days ago, Friday. You missed this if you didn't participate. Friday was National Wear a Plunger. On your head day. I'm not going to ask if you participate or not, but some of you have this secret desire to wear a plunger on your head and you've missed that opportunity to not look weird while you do it because you go, it's national wear a plunger on your head day. I just will tell you that tradition holds that it's always a new plunger. Some of you will get that about lunchtime. All right. And December 23rd is for Seinfeld fans out there. It's still coming. You still got chance for this. December 23rd is. Festivus for the rest of us, right? Uh, I hope you've got your Festivus pole and your feats of strength and your airing of grievances ready to go on that because it's coming in just a couple. I don't, you have, probably hadn't made enough room for that in your schedule. Now, here's the thing. All those things are celebrated during Christmas, but none of them are a match, correct, for Christmas. Here's what I was thinking as I was uh, preparing this week and getting ready for this week is... Um, why is it such a big day? 
You ever thought about that? I'm not talking about among Christians because among Christians, it's obvious why it's a big day. We're going to talk about that kind of the point of the sermon here in a few minutes. But it's a big deal for people that would normally not be anywhere near the cause of Christ. I mean, people who would never claim to be followers of Jesus Christ will have a nativity set in their yard or in their house. And for a month, not, sure, the songs on the radio, the, 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 you've got your share of all I want for Christmas is you. And last Christmas, I gave you my heart. And the very next day, you tore it apart, right? So this year, I'm going to give it to somebody better, right? Um, Kind of misses the point of Christmas, but there are those sheriff songs on the radio, right? The hippopotamus song. Have y'all heard the hippopotamus song? All I want for Christmas is a hippopotamus, right? Um, there are those sheriff songs, but they're also, I mean, on regular stations that play nothing near Christian music during the year. Away in a manger and silent night and hark the herald angels sing and oh holy night. Why is Christmas such a big Deal. I was uh, watching a, a TV show with the boys this week. And that's a, it's a weird. I won't go into the full explanation of the whole show. It's a weird show because there are two separate Earths in two different dimensions. And there's a time thing that gets involved in between them. And they're able to go between the two Earths. And people come to ours. Just forget all that and if you don't care. And they get here and it's Christmas time. And they go, what is Christmas? And this, the girl, as she's explaining it, it's almost like, because the show is not a, a show championing the cause of Jesus. She is, almost as she's explaining it, thinking how weird it sounds. Like everybody puts up a big tree in their house and they decorate it full of stuff and then they give gifts to everybody all because we're celebrating this baby that was born 2,000 years ago in a place that's really far from here that none of us have ever been to. And it just sounds like when you step back and think, well, why would everybody care about that? Why is it such... A big deal. Here's what I want to do today. I want to look just at a couple of verses, not very many at all. And I want to tell you why I think Christmas is such a big deal, not just with those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, you may be here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. You may be here and you haven't given your life to Jesus. You haven't been saved. You don't even really know all that means. My guess is part of the reason you're here, if that's true, is because of Christmas or something surrounding it. Why is it such a big deal? Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look just at a couple of verses in chapter 2, verses 10 down to verse 12. And here's what it says. After listening to the king, now for just for us, this is we're picking up where we were last week, but for those of you that weren't here last week, this is kind of the TV show in previous episodes, right? Last week we talked about listening to the king. Who was listening to the king? Who are we talking about here? Wise men, all right? So after the wise men listened to King Herod, who had told him, go find the baby, come back. He said, I want to worship him, but really Herod wanted to kill him because Herod was really concerned that somebody was going to take his throne. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now leave it just there for just a minute. I want you to think about this, all right? If you look at this in the original language, Matthew, who is not one to use lots of extra words, uses four words when one would have been okay. He could have said, when they saw the star, they rejoiced. But that's not what he says. He says they rejoiced 
exceedingly with great joy. Basically, if you look in the original, it's almost like he says, they joyed with joy of joy, joy. It's like joy to the fourth power. Joy, 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 joy. It's like they couldn't contain themselves. Now, I just want to be real honest. I think we've missed this part of the wise men's story completely. I remember growing up, um, we used to almost every year go to the um, singing Christmas tree at Bellevue Baptist Church. Bellevue Baptist Church, Adrian Rogers was the pastor back then. And you went for the spectacle of the singing Christmas tree. I mean, it was a tree that was, I don't know, 30 feet high, had people, youth choir was in the midst of it singing the whole time while they sang. This was before this was kind of cool or, you know, you could do it on your house. This is the only place you could see like lights went up and down different colors. It formed different figures in the midst of the tree. And they always did the nativity. So they have Mary and Joseph, they have baby Jesus, and they didn't do a fake baby. This was real live, fresh out of the womb baby. Okay? Now when they did this part, they always had like a a two-year-old child, because we think up to about two is when the wise men finally came, would stand at the front of the stage. And when the wise men would come, it was a spectacle. They'd be playing We Three Kings, you know, that old Christmas hymn, right? Of Orion R. Traveling East, all that. And so they'd have from different parts of the sanctuary, these entourages start to come down the aisles. And we're talking camels, like real camels walking down the aisle and donkeys and horses and and lots of people before you got to the final guy. And the final guy would be a king and he'd have a huge, I'm sure there's a word for it besides this, a hat, right? And he'd be huge and he'd walk down and he'd walk really slowly down to the front, building the moment, building the moment. And there was this kid that would have been about two years old. He was standing just at the front and they would all walk up and they would get up on the stage. And as they got to the front of the stage, Very calmly, very reverently, very quietly, they would take their crowns off and they would kneel and they would place them at the foot of the child Jesus. Right? But here's the problem with that. That's not what this says. Do you see anywhere they reverently bowed and gently took off their helmets? They didn't have helmets, hats, and place them at the feet of the boy. What does it say? They rejoice exceedingly with great. The word in Greek is actually mega joy. I don't know if you've ever experienced this because I see most of you regularly on a Sunday and I know you haven't experienced this in here. But rejoicing with exceedingly great joy is a, not a calm thing. Amen? I mean, that's the best you got on amens right there. That's not it. This is uncontrollable joy. This is five-year-old waking up to Santa on Christmas morning joy. Y'all, y'all know what that is, right? Okay. This is, I can't believe we found it. This is screaming. This is yelling. This is excitement. This is, what is going on over there? Joy. Here's what I want you to know. If you don't get anything else today, get this, alright? Sometimes reverence is expressed in exceedingly great 
joy. Sometimes reverence is expressed in exceedingly great joy. We get this picture. Maybe I think it's because we have these nativity sets and everybody can't move in those because they're like, you know, wood or stone or something. Or if you're really pretty, you got fancy ones, right? And no, they're definitely not moving because nobody's touching them. We think that everything was just kind of buttoned up. This is let your hair down, partying kind of scene. No. We're going to talk in a minute why they did that. But just get that picture in your head. Get the, get the picture out of your head of the, of the stately, we're going to set it here in the perfect place. They're partying when they get there. Next verse. And going into the house, they saw the child. They ain't even get in the house yet. They're out there high-fiving. Woo! He's here! This is Vandy winning a football game kind of joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Their joy leads to worship. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I want that scene in your mind, because here's the answer to the question. Why is Christmas such a big deal? I think it comes down to this. Because Christmas is a holiday for those who are seeking. Christmas is for seekers. And we talked about this a couple of, uh, last week, actually, that, that Christmas or the gospel is for the nations. And, and we're talking about for the nations that, um, that, that the wise men were not Jews. They were not people that were from that area, that, that the first people to come in the book of Matthew to worship Jesus are Gentiles. And that's an amazing kind of thing. Matthew makes a big deal about it in his whole genealogy, which you can go back and read in chapter one. He has Gentiles in the genealogy, which means they're all included. And so there's this big deal in Matthew. He begins it and he ends it with the Great Commission going to all the nations. And there's this idea that it is for the entire world. But even more so than that, specifically, it's for every Everybody who has ever sought meaning in life. These wise men weren't just out there doing some academic exercise to see if they could find this unusual occurrence. There was something behind them that says we're seeking the God. I believe that they had studied under Daniel's disciples and that Daniel had led people that were living in that area to try to understand the one true God. And he was working through that, through all the miracles that God did. And then these guys are descendants of descendants of descendants of descendants of that. And as they're there, they're seeking, they're hoping that they can find the one true God, the one true meaning, the one that is over all. And they get to the house and with exceedingly great joy, they say, we found it. He's here. And so Christmas is for anybody that is seeking purpose, significance, meaning, security, fulfillment in life. Psychiatrists say that every human being needs three things to be emotionally healthy. They need to feel safe. They need to feel significant. And they need to feel clean. As in that they're okay, that they're not morally wrong. And these wise men are guys that are seeking that just like everyone who has ever existed has sought it. 
Now, you may not realize that's what you're doing and people may not realize what they're that's what they're doing, but they are. They're seeking security. They're seeking fulfillment. They're seeking to know that they're right. Now, people do it in all kinds of ways. Some people seek that through financial means. And my guess is most of you in this room, if I ask you a question about financial means and what it would look like for you to be secure and safe and clean, if you weren't in a church environment, if you weren't thinking through church stuff, you might naturally think, you know what, it would be money. And in fact, if I told everybody in this room that I guarantee, now this isn't what I'm saying, not what I'm saying, but if I were to tell you that I can guarantee in 2016 you're going to make $50,000 more than you made in 2015, most of you would think that most of my problems are done. They're gone. If you want to know that's not true, just go find somebody that makes $50,000 more for you and ask, hey, you got any problems? You got any concerns? You got any worries? Back when Wall Street fell significantly, not like now where it just drops 300 points and it's barely a news story, but like significantly fell several years ago. There was a rash of suicides on Wall Street where executives, investors who had put all their stocks into money and financial stuff realized it wasn't going to always be there. If you want the reality that people are searching for things in money or fame and it's not fulfilling them, all you have to do is walk into a grocery store and go through the checkout lane. You can look at the okay Hello, People, Life, National Liar, all those magazines right there. Those people got lots of money, right? And their lives are falling apart. Just falling apart. We have an infatuation with those people. I'm convinced it's because we wish we were like them until we see what it does to them. Anybody ever heard of the family called the Kardashian family? Anybody heard of that family? Ever... Boy, they've got it together, don't they? Don't you look at those people and think, man, now that's a family unit that has everything in the right places. From Bruce to Kim and Kanye, they, they just got it together, right? Money's never been an issue for them. Some people look for it in money. Some people look for it in relationships. If I could just find that right person. <laughs> if I could just find my soulmate. That's what our movies tell us. That somehow magically the fates are going to align. And even if somehow you're going to find that significant one. And you live happily ever after. And those of us that are married know that once you find the right one and you get married, all your problems go away. Right? No, that's not what happens, right? You don't find it there. People look for it in dissatisfaction. They look for it in worry. They look, I mean, you know, they, they get dissatisfied with life and they think, well, how do I, how do I find satisfaction? I gotta, I gotta make myself feel fulfilled. I gotta make myself feel right. It leaves lives with unanswered questions, scared existence, and worry filled. Christmas offers answers to seekers. When I was growing up, I had two kind of fears or things that I see as um, the, the old kind of Puritan way to say this is besetting sins. Things that always occurred in my life and 
And I just, they were, they consumed parts of my days and thinking and even looking back. You know how sometimes in life you can get ahead and you look back and you go, why did I do that? And you're like, oh, I see what I was trying to do there. Even if you don't know it in the moment. Two things. First of all, I had this intense fear of eternity. Everything I knew in life ended. And now some of this was before I was saved, but some of it even after. And I I had this intense fear that of just things that go on and on and on and on and on and on. And I just didn't like that thought. And I would try to wrap my brain around eternity, which is impossible to do. And I remember as an eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kid, just like, I I don't like that. I don't want to think about it. There are things that come into your mind that you're like, I just want to get it out of my mind. I just got to quit thinking about it. I got to move on to something else. That was that. So much so, this is one of those weird things I remember. There used to be a TV show about a group of people that were at a dancing uh, school in the 80s. Anybody remember that show? Fame, right? And there was a show, Fame, and Fame had this theme song that got to be a top 40 hit. And the theme song was Fame. Like, scream, I'm not going to sing it for you, but you know, Fame. I'm going to live forever. And I would, like, turn the radio when that came on. So I didn't want to think about it, all right? The second thing that I had was a fear, not only of eternity, but I had a fear of rejection. Like, I, I was always afraid I wasn't going to fit in. I look back at elementary school, I look back at middle school. I was always the kid that I thought, you know, I just, <laughs> I'm afraid somebody's going to look at that. And, and so I, I never dressed really boldly. Like, I, I never really tried to put, I, I tried to dress exactly down the line because I wanted to be comfortable with who I was. And I didn't want anybody to notice anything about me, but I also wanted to achieve. And I thought people will like me if I achieve. And so I always wanted to get the best grades in class. And it was not so, hey, I can feel fulfilled and that I've done my best. It was, I want people to like me. Got to middle school and high school and the same kind of thing, kind of found my niche. And I was the good church boy who everybody liked because I was the good church boy and was in the clubs and all that, but still went to church and tried to live for Jesus and really kind of, I put everything into that because that's what I wanted people to do. I wanted people to like me and got to college and had to find a new way because in Dyersburg, there weren't a whole lot of really good church boys that were still in the clubs and stuff that were there. When you got to union, it was like 70% were that. So I had to find a new way and it was always about standing out and being noticed to be liked. And I'd like to tell you I graduated college and they, uh, that all just went away. I don't worry about that anymore. That's not true. I still struggle with that. There's still Sundays I drive up in the parking lot and the only cars here are mine and Jeff and Diane's and we're all paid to be here. And I think this is it. This is the Sunday that the church collapses and nobody comes. This is it. And I honestly, sometimes I think, and that wouldn't be a bad thing because the sermon today is horrible. They're not going to like it at all. But here's the thing, and this is the second point, it's for seekers, but more importantly to that, if we'll let it, we find in Jesus the answer to life's biggest questions. Those two things, eternity and acceptance, are found in the manger. The questions of my eternity are found because that baby that's in the manger would grow up into a savior who would live a perfect life and die for my sins. And although eternity still weirds me out a little bit, because it just, if it doesn't weird you out, then I don't think you really understand the concept of forever. I'm secure eternally because of him. And the whole acceptance thing, I still struggle with hoping people like me and I work through that and pray about that. 
but the baby in the manger would become a savior who died for my sins and gave me ultimate acceptance and I never have to worry about it again. You see, Jesus, part of the reason Christmas is so popular is because Jesus is God's answers to life's most difficult questions. You can pull people off the streets and when they get into a real moment, whether they're a believer or whether they're far as away from being a believer as they can be, there are questions that we cannot answer on our own. How did we get here? I read a theologian one time and a philosopher one time that said that the biggest question man has to answer is why there is instead of there isn't. Why is there anything instead of nothing? Why are we here? What's the, what, what, what's the reason that we are here today? And I'm not talking about even big, like, what's the purpose for my life? I mean, why is there anything here? Why is there an earth? Why are there people? Why are there animals? Like, that's a big question, right? Apparently not for you. That's a big question for philosophers. The second question people ask is, okay, we're here. Okay. Even if we don't know why we're here, the second question is, well, what went wrong? Because stuff is wrong. Right? Amen? Stuff is wrong. What went wrong? What happened? What happened to us? What happened to the planet? What's, and I'm not talking about having a global conference on climate change. I'm talking about what, what's wrong with humanity? Sometimes people say, I just wish you get all the evil out of the world. You really don't, because to get all the evil out of the world, guess what's got to go? Us. All of us. And the biggest question is, can we fix it? And Christmas supplies the answer, no, we can't. But he did. You see, the baby in the manger answers this question. Is God even interested in my messed up life? He's interested enough to send his son. You can respond to all that one of really of three ways. You can you can be hostile about it, and our world has people that are hostile to it and say, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't believe that. I wouldn't believe in a God that did that. I can't imagine a God that would do that. And you can kind of just be hostile to the gospel, or you can be like most of the world is and just completely indifferent to it. In this story, Herod was the one that was hostile to it. Herod was the one that said, I'm going to kill the child because he's going to take my throne. You also have the indifferent one, the scribes, that when the wise men come earlier in the story and say, where is this child to be born? And they say, Bethlehem is where the scriptures say, you have a good time, hope you find him, instead of saying, I want to go see it myself. You can be indifferent to it. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there is only one appropriate response. That is rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. And when you find Jesus, you will give generously of everything you are and everything you have. What does it say they do? They have a little party outside before they go in the house, excited that they're there. Why? Because their seeking is over. Their search is over. They have found true God. The one true God is laying in a manger. As the star has led them, they have found the one. And they rejoice outside in great joy. And then they march inside and they immediately give him worship and they bring the gifts. Now, there's been lots written, lots about the gifts that were brought. Gold for the king and the fact that Jesus was king. Frankincense was used in worship and so they were worshiping him as God. But also myrrh was a use that was to anoint people as king, but also in preparing for funerals kind of stuff. And so perhaps that was to 
foreshadow his death. Whatever it is, whatever the significance is, the deeper theological significance, what we see at the most basic level is when you find what you're looking for in Jesus, you generously worship and give. Now, this is not a pitch for offerings. Because I mean something much bigger than that. Although, sure, if you want to, that part of that is as you give to the local church in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, that other people might experience the joy and the meaning and the significance and the safety and the security that is found in Jesus Christ. Yes, you ought to be giving generously to your local church, whether that's this church or another church, in order to see the gospel spread around the world. But it's more than that. It is that your life has been captivated and controlled now by this child in a manger who will determine the direction of your life for eternity and now. We have way too many believers in Jesus Christ that are perfectly fine with Jesus directing their eternity as long as they get to control right now. Jesus, give me 20 years and then you can have it. That's not what true discovery of Jesus leads to. It is everything I am, everything I have, I give to you. This past Sunday night, just mentioned this earlier about the um, the Christmas event that we had at Drakewood Farm and the barn um, come to the manger event. And, and I just want to be honest with you, we, we didn't know what to expect there. We knew what we were doing. We knew what, what we had planned, but we didn't under, expect with people coming and all of that. And um, for, for as many years as I've been here, my favorite thing we do at Christmas is still yet to come. I love our Christmas Eve service. Uh, if you don't have anywhere to be on Christmas Eve, um, we'd love to have you here at 5 o'clock. Uh, it's, it's very basic, traditional carols. We do candlelight service. Um, we do communion together. And then we leave. All right? But I love it. It's an intimate moment. It's, it's just something about Christmas Eve, getting together with your church family. I love that event. Last Sunday night, was as close to that as I've experienced here at First Baptist. And it's just great. It was fun being out there and just uh, hanging out together, being at the barn. That intimate worship time we had, close to 200 people packed into a barn, singing without microphones or anything, talking about the coming of Christ. And then at the end, we did something that many of you were there and participated in. Because there I talked about the fact that the, the manger reminds us that God gave His absolute best to ensure he could have a relationship with us. And I ask the question, what are you willing to give up or give to God this Christmas to help you have a more intimate relationship with God? What are you willing to give? And we had these red sheets of paper out there. We had Sharpies. And as they, people came, they came and they wrote on there something. I don't know what they wrote. I haven't seen them. Still haven't seen them. They put it, folded it up and placed it in the manger saying, this is what I'm giving to the Lord today. And this Christmas season, I want to give this so that my relationship with the Lord can be better. Now, here's what I want to show you. These are from the, that night. All right. Now, we folded them so you can't read them. They're not, they, some of these, I'm sure, I haven't read them, but I'm sure some of these have some, some, uh, some private thoughts and things that, you know, nobody would want me to go, well, she says that what she'd like to give to the Lord is this. So we hung them there where you can't see. We have them there for two reasons. First of all, because some of you wrote that and you put that there and then you went and had a glass of hot chocolate and made a s'more and you went home and you forgot. So this is just a little bit of a reminder. Hey, don't forget you wrote that. It's up there. Because for many of you, whatever you wrote on that sheet of paper is a daily kind of thing you've got to give to the Lord. It's not a 
It's done. It's over. Here's the present. And the second reason we have it up here is because there's some of you that were there or weren't there Sunday night that need to give something to the Lord this Christmas. It's probably not a container of gold or frankincense or myrrh, but it might be an attitude of your heart or a relationship you've been a part of or a practice you've been doing or a thought that's in your mind often. And you need to give that to the Lord because that is what will draw you closer to Him. And as an act of just worship and exceedingly great joy, you're going to give that to Him. So here's what we're going to do. Just while we're going to have a time of response and the normal response time is open, they're going to come and sing. And if you're here and you need to join the church or would love to join the church, I'd love to talk to you about that. Or you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you want to do that, I'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe for you it's getting baptized. You've never done that since you've been saved and you want to talk about that. I'll be standing down here at the front. I'll be glad to talk with you about any of that. But I also have the red sheets of paper here on both sides of the front of the stage. There are Sharpies there on each side. And perhaps you need to come and just write that is, whatever you're going to give to the Lord, and then just fold it over and hang it on the line. And say you're giving that to the Lord this Christmas. What are you going to give? I know most of you got lots of gifts already bought, and you may even have them wrapped and under the tree. What are you going to give to the Lord this year to allow yourself to move further in your relationship with Him? Let's pray together.